Interns and doctoral students theorize a didactic multi-vectored approach to data-driven quantitative longitudinal analyses, try to remember where you left your sandwich, and wonder in the deep pit of your soul if the beings in the Petri dish look upon you as a loving God. Or an Old Testament God? Because it's time to talk tall to me. More like an Old Test Tube God. Oh, perfect. Perfect. I live a life of regrets, and that's one of them. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Told to Me. A weekly symposium in which Professor McGill and the furtive pipette peddler Omen Said will present... <laughs> Shocking new evidence to support our long-standing theory that Jeffrey Hammond Hammond is, in fact, the missing link in the ladder of human evolution. We will postulate, predicate, mitigate, and obfuscate jazz theories and acoustical data, all seeking to create a working analysis model of prog rock band Jethro Tull. We will put lyrics into the centrifuge, musicality into a high-pressure chamber, and if they don't renew our funding, we will release a nuclear-powered, unstoppable musical death machine into the world. Yes, deny us publishing again and face the wrath of Melotron! Wow, you went all out. I, 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 once I started, I'm, I couldn't stop. And I'm here for it, I'm, I'm fully, I'm, I'm happy about because it. Because you've got nowhere to go! Because I'm stuck in a box. <laughs> Goodness me. Nick, hi. Omen, hello. Hello. I thought you were going to call yourself just a pipette, not a pipette peddler. Well, they, the pipettes um, have to come from somewhere, Nick. That's that's it's, uh, it's true. When a when a mommy and a daddy pipette fall in love. That's, that's where you get supply chains from. That's that's it. Supply supply side economics. So Nick, um I don't know the what that su- is. the supply of tall to talk about this week is is quite a lot. Is it, It's hefty. We've yeah, we've got two songs to talk about. The supply may, Plus, in fact, exceed the demand. <laughs> uh, I think that is accurate, yeah. Plus four emails. Okay. Before we get into emails, I've got two very brief anecdotes. Oh, my gosh. Go ahead, Nick. So, as you know, Ray was was downstate this weekend on family business. Your wife, yes. So it was just me and Rook okay. all weekend, yep. which means... I got to play Jethro Tull all weekend out loud. Oh, no. What have you done? (laughs) So, (laughs) we were listening to Ian Anderson's solo album, The Secret Language of Birds. And we were on, I think, track two or three, Little Flower Girl. Okay. Down at the church, the flower girl sits, legs in a center part. I made the picture puzzle fit to stop it your heart. Apropos of nothing, Rook looks up at me and says, it sounds like a sad person is singing. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, Rook, he is. Yes. He very much is a sad person singing. From the mouths of babes. <laughs> and then on top of that, after that album, we listened to the Christmas album. Okay. The Jay Toll Christmas album. And on another Christmas song. (laughs) 
completely out of nowhere, he he looked up at me and said, hey, it's easy to stand on one leg. And he, he like picked up his leg, true flute style, wow. and just stood there. Like the magic of Ian possessed him. That's, and he... That's crazy. <laughs> and he's never done that before. Nick, I would love to reach out to our fans at this moment and ask if you have ever had any paranormal, unexplainable, tall <laughs> phenomena that you'd like to share with us, please do so. Yeah, I would love to hear if your three-year-old, your three-and-a-half-year-old was inspired to stand on one leg while listening to Jethro Tull as well. Very, very interesting. That's great, Nick. <laughs> oh, hold on a sec, Nick. I'm just getting oh, just getting something oh. coming from here. It's, it's coming from under the floorboards. Oh, hello? Oh, no. Hello? Is that, is that you, Mary? No, I eat smartly today. What? How did he get over there? I I don't know. You have a problem in your insulation. Oh. <laughs> what's the what's the problem? Well, you see, I crawled through it and disrupted all of it. <gasps> oh. Sounds right, That's, yeah. That is a problem. I'll leave me hat under the floorboards. As insulation? I guess. Or consolation. As... Either or. Why why are you leaving your hat stuck on a nail? Okay. <laughs> okay. So no, not for you at all. He just no, can't get it no. back. All right. Well, we'll stay safe down there. Stay safe down there, Marley. Marley? Oh god. Oh. Uh-oh. Okay. Well, do you have some emails there that you want to read, Nick? I do. I do. I've got a couple really quick ones. <laughs> Your emails, sir. Why don't you start us off? This one is called Tullicdotes Number One, R.E. Talk Tull to Me, which I can only hope we'll be having more Tullicdotes in the future. <laughs> this is from a new listener, the more, Riley the P. The portmanteaus are really getting out of hand on this show. Oh, love everything about it. Love it. Love it so much. Greetings, Nick and Omen. First off, great podcast. I'm a huge fan. Hmm. My friend Andrew and I are what might be called the Australian Nick and Omen. Oh. <laughs> you, you wash your mouth out with soap. How dare you? They're, they're taller and more handsome. <laughs> That's right. Just blonde and beautiful. Right. I have several tall anecdotes, which I may drip feed to you over the coming months. Mm. Here goes. Tullicdote number one. Many moons ago, Andrew wrote a piece of music that he thought was amazing. He sent it in the form of carefully handwritten sheet music directly to Ian Anderson. Oh, no. I laughed at the hubris and futility of such an action, saying he will never write back. But he did. What? His response was curt, but revealing. Embedded against the pleasantries of what was obviously written by his PA, he said, I have about as much use for sheet music as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Checks out. Sounds right. Yeah. That's it. That's Ian right there. Thank you so much, Riley. Yeah. Greatly appreciated. Can't wait to hear more of those tullicdotes. <laughs> you you truly are drip feeding us this these fun stories like a like a morphine drip. Oh yeah. It it numbs the pain. <laughs> we keep slamming our hand on the button, but but there's nothing more for today. No, it's yeah, we've used our quota. <laughs> That's great. That's really fantastic. Thank you. We've got another one from Andrew L., a previous writer-inner. Excellent. Uh, also an Instagram follower. Greatly appreciated. Oh, and this, this I think we might want to do a new, a new segment for eventually. Okay. 
Short message to say, for most of my teenage years, in Requiem, when he sings, Fading into the Traffic, Watched Her Go. Fading into the Instead, I heard, fading into the traffic, marched a goat. <laughs> no idea why it made sense to me at the time. Keep it up, Andrew. <laughs> you know, with all the animal references, in Tull in general, and also specifically in that song, yeah. it's that, you know, I can understand thinking that. Not outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah. And the last one I've got from Gunslinger, also a previous writer in her. Ah, yes. Just finished up Living in the Past episodes, and I'm raising steam to get caught up to date. Ooh. Yeah, nice reference there. The show gets better and better. Yes, as a matter of fact, it does. (laughs) Since you brought up the live version of Nursey, have you heard the live version of Hymn 43 from the 2005 live Aqualung album? Oh. If not, it's worth a listen. Enjoying the ride. Thank you, Mike. I don't think I have heard that, Nick. I hadn't either until he brought this up. And we're going to play just a little bit of the opener. That's the the part that sounds really the most different. Let's give it a quick, quick listen here. Hymn 43 with amendments. That is so cool. Yeah, we've got the 2000s Ian voice going on there. Right. But we've got some beautiful mandolin working on that. Yeah, you know, lovely. Terms, the, the whole composition of that seems like it's really, Ian is, is reaching back into his ancestry, to his Celtic mm. roots, and really yeah. drawing on that. It's really, really fun. We've got the mandolin, got the bass line kind of giving us the the map of the original composition. Yeah, yeah. And and we, we stopped it early, but later on it does pull pull into the heavier electric sound after That's that. That's super fun. I recall yeah. when we saw a couple of shows in the early, mid-2000s. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I remember there was one show that they did like an entire half of it was all acoustic. And I remember they did yes. some kind of Celtic-influenced versions of some of their old stuff. I mean, that's... It seems that 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 Celtic or Brit country folk is really, really speaks to Ian as as we've heard in live versions and as as we're going to see as in in the consecutive albums. Yeah. Oh, indeed, yes. And honestly, that the audience that is attracted to Tull is predominantly attracted to that sound. I would imagine. I think that there is some crossover interest. Certainly, it's fairly safe to say. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving us that treat. That was delicious. Yes, very much. Thank you. We have an email here from R&R, uh, location Ooh. unknown, which means mm. I don't know what accent to do for this. Omen, d- dare I say, pick whatever accent you want. Um, yeah. <laughs> I might just do it in my regular voice so that the listeners can okay. hear what that sounds like finally. Oh, I, it'll be a nice change. I better put a warning in here. <laughs> okay, great. Subject on Minstrel in the Gallery. Message, Mr. and Mr. Momes. I discovered your podcast relatively recently and have been thoroughly enjoying it. Not only your discussion of each song, but your wit as well. As someone of similar age, 
who discovered Tull in high school, late 90s, early 2000s. Perfect. I appreciate the perspective you bring. In your Black Satin Dancer episode, you mentioned that the song wasn't performed live until the 80s. My understanding is that they never even performed the actual song, but rather Martin's solo was incorporated into an instrumental melody break sans Ian. Mm. I looked at the set list from around that time using the Ministry of Information Tull Tour website, and other than the title track, the only album track that seems to have been played in concert during that time was Requiem, and only a handful of times. This is fascinating stuff, Nick. The fact that for them to play music from Black Satin Dancer, Ian literally just had to leave the stage. <laughs> he just can't. He can't. I can't do it. I'm sorry, Martin. If you'd like to do the solo, by I'll all go means, have a quick cup of tea and I'll go have uh, a tea, cry, and a whiz, ten minutes, and weep. <laughs> He continues, I've always felt that Minstrel is perhaps Tull's greatest album. Oh, it's close. Yeah. With Ian's songwriting in top form and the bands playing both intricate and ferocious. Despite this, I get the impression that Ian himself isn't particularly fond of it. I once read him refer to it as Minor Tull, although I can't find that particular interview now. Please forgive the comparison, but I'm reminded of a baffling quote from another famous creator, George Lucas, who once said... The Empire Strikes Back is always written about as one of the best films, but actually it was the worst one. The disconnect between creator and fan is interesting to me. The artist is personally connected to what's happening behind the creation and the wait for that at times must be enormous. For Ian, I suspect his feelings are less about the album's quality than they are about the personal subject matter. I get the impression that as Ian prefers to think of himself as a showman and he's not very comfortable performing songs that reveal too much about himself, perhaps he thinks of it as too self-centered. I'm curious to hear the Moms muse on this. Thanks for everything you're doing. Arend. First of all, thanks for dropping in the George Lucas quote there. I don't know where you got the audio from, but that was that was good. Yeah. Saves me some editing. No problem. I just have I have all of his quotes just on a, on just, a loop. Yep. That's not a bad idea, yeah. Well, Arend, I, I totally agree. I think that it is fascinating to see the disconnect between the mm, the reader or the the fans' appreciation of a piece of work and mm. the artist's feelings about it. It reminds me, Nick, as I'm sure no doubt this has leapt immediately to your mind. Yep. It reminds me of... <sighs> Marcus Aurelius. No, close. Jules it reminds Verne. me of Virgil. Oh, there we go. That was the last one. Yeah, that's my bingo card. I'm done. I'm uh, I'm done for the night. I'll go. When Virgil was tasked with writing a Roman epic which would rival the Odyssey, mm. he first went home and threw up a couple of times, passed out, <laughs> and then he got to work and he wrote the 12 books which we now know as the Aeneid. But he was originally planning on writing 24 books, the first 12 about the finding the spot where Aeneas was going to found Rome, and then the second 12 about the founding of Rome. He died before he could write the second 12. It literally killed him. Well, one of, but one of his last acts was to, was to demand of his servant on his deathbed. He said, I need you to go and take all my manuscripts of the Aeneid and burn it. Oh. <gasps> Because it's not worth reading. I have failed in wow. my task. And yeah. the servant was like, yeah, sure, Virgil. Yeah. That's fine. I'll get right on that, Virg. <laughs> Go ahead and die. And then <laughs> took it to the publisher. And, you know, it's been torturing Latin students ever since. Yeah. No, I, I had to do the Aeneid in, in, 
in Latin as well. Yeah. I thought you were going to say I had to burn my manuscripts as well. I did. Yeah. That's why I'm not a published author. But I, I, I do think that, you know, that is a common theme. I think with, with all really great artists, there is some stuff that everyone is like, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. And they're like, oh, if I have to hear or look at or think of that yeah. one more time, I will combust. Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting that the more that we dive into particularly these, these later albums, like mid middle years albums, mm. the more I think about how much, how much we as fans and, and, and the, the tall skull listeners as well, because if they weren't diehard fans of tall, they wouldn't be listening to this. Indeed. Our charming banter aside, how much, there is so much that we're drawn to in terms of the Tull catalog that we find brilliant and yeah. and so engaging. And that is seems to be traditionally not the stuff that Ian plays in concert because it's the more personal stuff. He'll play Locomotive Breath and and the first five minutes of Thick as a Brick and Aqualung every single concert. Sure. But those are those are because they're the hits and they weren't that terribly personal. How many times does he play Slipstream? How many times does he play Summer Day Sands even? Mm. You know, it's, yeah. it's, I, I, I'm seeing that really interesting turn here. And I think one thing that I'm taking away, particularly at this point in, in having done, I don't know what, like six albums now at this point yes. is, is that I'm, I, Every time we do a song, that becomes my new favorite song. Yeah. <laughs> because because each time we really delve into it, we can really see what's going on with Ian and we can really see that that personal feeling about it. Well, you know, I think there's another factor here, which is that some artists have the luxury of dying before, you know, once their mm. once their oeuvres have been sort of created. Yeah. Ian has had to confront his work. For 50 years. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not like he dropped 10 albums and then was out. Right. He dropped 10 albums, dropped 10 more albums, dropped another six, dropped a couple more Christmas yeah. album, a couple of solos. And he has to like confront all this stuff every single day. And imagine how many times fans write to him and are like, Slipstream, I just love it so much. And he's like, oh God, I don't want to, I just, you know, I want to play something new. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a matter of, because there is, there is such a deep catalog there will inevitably be drastically varying levels of fandom. Yes. So it's indeed. it's easy to to cater to the Aqualung fans and and maybe that's the most the most rewarding at this point because everything else is so gosh darn exhausting. Maybe, I don't know. Could be, Nick. Could be. Now you mentioned wrapping up the album. Why don't we wrap up this section so that we can wrap up the last two tracks on the bonuses rock and roll i love that idea that's it thank you everyone for writing in as usual give us some more feedback give us more tulectotes etc etc let's hear a couple more jump starts as well it's been a while since we've had those but now we are going to wrap up the last two bonus tracks of minstrel in the gallery omen what are we going to start with we are going to start with a peculiar little ditty entitled March the Mad Scientist. That we are. Let's give that bad boy a listen, shall we? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Nick, there it is. There it is. Under two minutes. It's a short little one. It is. 149. It's a nice little acoustic number. Nothing electronic. No drums, even. No drums. I believe it is two acoustic guitar tracks. Is it? Is it two or is it three? Well, let's say at least two. It sounds at to me like two. there's a rhythm guitar and then Ian noodling noodling to high heck over top of it. Yeah, I, I, I think his noodling has reached such a point that I can't tell whether it's just a single noodle or a double noodle. <laughs> He's got more noodles than an Italian grandmother, Nick. It's uh, My Nona is impressed, I think is safe to say. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a, there's a bass in the back and it is... I believe a stand-up, is it not? It is definitely a stand-up bass. Yeah. You can hear the strings slapping against the neck if you listen oh, yeah. carefully. The change of fate and the fate of change. There is a definitive sound. It is definitely not electronic at all. You can hear that Hammond Hammond has not clipped the nail on his left index <laughs> finger. No, I don't know. But you can it's really so hear specific. it. It has, it has a lovely sound. <laughs> yeah. And then at about... 115, we get a little synth, I think. A little synth that turns into a piano. I believe it's synth because it is a very weird sound and then it's followed very quickly by piano. Oh, yeah, there is that sound. I missed that on this listening, but I remember hearing it when I listened to it earlier today. So he locks it all the way from here and shares not what he thought he knew. And April is summer bound. It's got to be synth because right after we get the... of It almost sounds like a pipe organ. It's it's peculiar, yeah. Maybe it is a, a, a an organ, which would keep with the that acoustic sound, technically, or, or right? It's the, or it's the synth imitating a pipe organ, something well, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, peculiar stuff. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, I, I don't want to... I don't want to diss this song because I quite like it, but I do wonder if there's maybe one noodle too many. A little busy? It's a little busy, you think? The thing that I like about the guitar playing on this song are all of the walk up and walk downs. It starts Mm. in the very very top, the intro. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's really lovely. Yep. And I think that maybe, maybe he, there's just one too many noodles in the noodle party, Nick. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a solo noodle guy most of the time. I've got a little time. pasta gut after this song. <laughs> I'm a little bloated. I got to back <laughs> off the carbs. I, <laughs> I need a Campari and soda to settle to settle me after listening to that. Yeah, that uh, that digestif will really really make you feel better after listening That's to right. March the Med Scientist. <laughs> What do we have to say else musically about this, Nick? Nothing, Yoda. Thank you. About this, what have you to say? <laughs> not, not much. I mean, that's we, we've we've identified everything. We've hit that really kind of the most peculiar part is is that weird synth part. The hearing that stand up bass is a, is a really nice change. How would you describe there? There are a couple other musical things I want to hit that have just occurred to me. But I want to ask you, how would you describe the mood of this song in terms of colors? If you were to synesthize this song, I get a like, do you remember? I don't know. You've always been a Mac guy, right? Sure. But back in the day 
when Windows Media Player was a thing, you had an option to have like a spirally, like almost tie-dye thing that would play when you would play music on Windows and you would get certain jabs and splashes. I get that kind of an orange of that kind of spiral. And maybe to be honest, I did listen to this on Windows Media Player in college and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For some reason, I have I'm scarred by that image. I'm sure that the, is true. I'm I'm very confident that it, that it is. But that's what I get. I get like a swirly, inquisitive orange, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> New in 2021, the color that everyone's wearing, inquisitive orange. That's right. That's uh, I'm going to get a car colored in inquisitive orange. Yeah. The thing that I find so fascinating about the construction of this song is that it starts in this what I would describe as a, a dark sound. Dum, dum, yeah. Dum, dum, dum. kind of plummets into that minor and then very gradually works its way out. And then when we hit the phrase and March the Mad Scientist, it opens up into this very sort of bright, the tempo and the possibly the time signature changes as well. And then it laments off. Everyone the same and March the Mad Scientist Brings a new change in ever dancing colors. He rings it here and he rings it. It covers a lot of territory in a short amount of time. In yeah, yeah, it does. It's exploratory. Hmm. It is researchful. Yeah, which feels feels pretty right, actually. Shall we now transition to talking about the lyrics, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, Omen. Ooh. Yeah. What would you like for Christmas? <laughs> oh, I was thinking of, uh, you know, my old polarity is kind of worn out. It, your your, cl- your classic request of a new polarity. Well, to be honest, your binary are a little desperate. Mm, yeah, I was thinking about that. <laughs> what would you like for Christmas? A new polarity, your binary and desperate. Nick, um, a question for you. Is what is the question, what the hell does this song mean? Yes, that was what I was going to ask. <laughs> that's, that's funny because I was going to ask you the same thing. Well, I before we talk about what the song means, mm-hmm. what I have found successful in previous times when we get super stuck with a song uh-huh. when we're confronted with a song that really is is opaque like this. Yeah. I, I try to look for a keyhole. Okay. Have you found any holes, Omen? When I was in kindergarten, I, I looked for keyholes. I had one of those little brass paper connectors, and I would go around my kindergarten classroom looking for what I thought were keyholes. And I found a lot of them, and one of them was like right at the perfect height, and I stuck it in, and I felt like someone kicked me from behind, and all my yep. hair stood on end, and I dropped the thing. Yeah. And I went and told the teacher, and she was very displeased, and then put little plastic covers all over all the outlets in the room. All those, no, all those keyholes. All those keyholes in the room. She didn't want, <laughs> I, I still haven't found out what the secret is. But you've but, never felt so alive. <laughs> <laughs> I've been chasing that high ever since. But I'm curious about the phrase, March the Mad Scientist. And March the Mad Scientist. It reminded me of something, which was a phrase 
which is mad as a March hare. Oh, okay. Okay, which comes from Alice Through the Looking Glass. Well, it was used in, in, uh, in Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, but it right. refer- is an old expression, mad as a March Oh, he's mad as a March hare, and it refers to... So it came before that. Yes, it was. Okay. It, yeah, exactly. And okay. it, it refers to observations of English hares in okay. the spring, especially in March, which was the breeding season for the European hare mm. or the Lepis europaeus. Okay. Okay. So to be mad as a March hare means to be, you know, observed exhibiting a strange behavior. Squirrely, bouncing all over the place. Yeah. Right. And so I think that Ian has played with that, with that phrase, mar- mad as a March hare, March as the mad scientist. March the mad scientist. Hmm. Okay. So, f- so for me, I feel like what we, what he's doing is painting a picture of this figure who is mad and a scientist. <laughs> right. It's taking that mad scientist idea and applying it to... It's like it's taking it off of the the Victor Frankenstein and putting it on more of a like standard scientist or observing it through perhaps a more poetic lens. Okay. So, and I think that in the first stanza we have the scientist speaking. And the reason that we can't figure out what in the heck it's talking about is because that's how it's intended. Mm, you know, it's okay. very common to Yes. When, it's a jargony thing. Exactly. Yeah. When we mm. make fun of scientists, we do what I did in the intro. We just string together a bunch of incomprehensible words because that's what we feel like when we hear experts talk about something yeah. that we don't know about. Doctors, scientists, lawyers, business yeah. people, etc. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. All of it. Mm-hmm. It's the it's sort of the dottore archetype from the comedic. Yes. Archetype. Okay. Okay. So here we have this this scientist, perhaps. Oh, you want a new polarity? Your binaries are desperate, and the high figures that lick us with a hotter flame. It's like what? Yeah. You know, perhaps all of that is comprehensible to to the person speaking it. Yeah, it's somewhere scientists are listening to this and and just laughing <laughs> Nodding. their asses mm. off. Like, yeah, yeah, mm. he would, he would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, and then we get into the next stanza where we hear the scientist is bringing a new change, the ever-dancing colors. He rings it here and he rings it there, but no one stops to see it. He rings it here and he rings it. But no one stops to see. It reminds me of, you know, it kind of conjures for me the image of a scientist making all these discoveries that are that are exciting and, and unique and completely incomprehensible to anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, buried in some some scientific journal that that you have to be really niche and subscribed to and, and have a doctorate in in underwater basket weaving to to really appreciate. Yeah, and I and I you know to a certain extent I can sympathize with this state because my my parents are scientists you know this yes yeah and so i know from observing them that we picture scientists in popular culture as like working in a lab and you know 
They're like, oh, we need a new chemical. Look, I have it right here. I've made it. Now I'll be famous and rich. And it's like, it just doesn't work that way. No, no. You know, oftentimes the life of a scientist is to struggle to secure funding, do this long-term project and collect data that maybe never gets analyzed, that maybe never gets published, that they yeah. can form conclusions about. Maybe they do get published. And, you know, perhaps at the height of success, they are well-known within their community and literally the rest of the world goes on as if it's never happened. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, you just spent the last three years of your life trapping and tagging the Western vole for its foraging habits in right. the month of March. Right. And and by golly, you have you've you've discovered something that will change vol the the view of voles for right, the rest exactly. of, <laughs> of but science for the for the you know for the broader population. They're like, okay, so okay. vol. It's just like a mouse, right? A yeah. vol is like a mouse. Yes, it's a small rodent. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I so it's it's some there's something very fascinating there, and I I wonder for me what Ian's window into this, you know, what inspired this song. I'm, I'm sure we'll never know. Yeah, it seems terribly niche. It seems it seems like there's something very specific may have have inspired this commentary. Yes, but who could say what it is? I mean, maybe it was oh, exactly. a dream. Maybe it was just a, a passing thing yeah. that he read in the newspaper. I, that that was my that would be my first guess is something that he randomly saw in the newspaper or or on, heard on the radio of a of a new story of someone doing a science ex, ex, doing I'm I'm going to do a science now of explaining something that he just had he he could not comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. And that settles March the Mad Scientist. Oh man, how how many times has March the Mad Scientist been played in concert? In concert. I'm thinking 7. Based on setlist.fm Okay, although maybe we should check the thing that our yeah, recent writer in Minis- Ministry of something or other? Ministry, yeah. the Ministry of Ministry of Tall Songs. While you're looking that up, Nick, this song reminds me of a part from Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels where he meets a scientist who who's very excited and he's like, I've been working for 15 years and I'm only seven years away from successfully extracting <laughs> the sunlight from cucumbers. <laughs> and he's just like, okay, great. Have you looked up your info? I have. Okay. How many times has it been played in concert? I see 36 in total. Wow. 35 in the year 2009. Okay. By Ian Anderson. Solo by Ian Anderson. <laughs> and then okay. once in 2010 by Jethro Tull. How bizarre. The one time in 2010 was Tull in Union Chapel, London. The first time in in 2009 was September 9th. And it was Ian Anderson at Proctor's Theater in Schenectady, New York. Huh. Yeah. You want do you want to know what the top ten scientific breakthroughs of, of two thousand and nine were? I very bit of a stretch, but yeah, I do. I definitely do. Yeah. Element one fourteen was confirmed. No. <laughs> Doesn't name it. <laughs> Progress toward a vaccine for dengue fever. That's quite well, sexy. What about the ones from nineteen seventy five when this was written? 
Isn't that oh. more important? I was I was curious about what what inspired him to start playing it again. Oh, sure, okay, sure. Okay. Impatience, impatient Sally. We can look at. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's go to the the first like two from seventy five. Nineteen seventy five in science, space stuff, space stuff, space stuff. Oh biology. yeah, probably space what do you stuff. Want yeah. Space biology, climatology, computer science, mathematics. Wow, I. Oh, honestly, uh, Benoit Mandelbrot coins the term fractal. Benoit Mandelbro. Mandelbrot. Mandel, Mandelbro. Bill Gates and Paul Allen form Microsoft in Albuquerque. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, Fractal and Microsoft. I'll take it as, as monumental. Sure. On August 8th, the term global warming is used for the first time in its modern sense by Wallace Smith Brochter. Because he heard Ian Anderson talking about it. That's exactly why. <laughs> All right, Omen, anything else for March the Mad Scientist? It's a lovely song. I understand why it's a bonus track and not on the full album. Perfect, perfect way to put it. Wonderful. Nick, shall we put this scientist to bed and move on to the next song? Let's slip into, into our lingerie and put this scientist to bed. And April is summer bound And February is blue no one stops to see the color and dance a sexy dance to the pan dance and dance That's a sexy pan dance there we go i before we go in i just want to say i can't hear the word pan dance the 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 term pan dance without hearing pan dance pancakes ever again <laughs> okay i'm so sorry about that <laughs> all right let's listen to pan dance let's, let's have a listen <laughs> pan dance pancakes Well, Nick, there we have Pan Dance. Oh my goodness, do we have Pan Dance. Are you a fan dance of Pan Dance? I am the fanniest of panniest dances. I I don't know if we can say that on this podcast. This <laughs> gets published so, abroad. We'll mark it as, as, as explicit. I'm sorry. Okay. What What is your favorite part of this? What is your favorite aspect of this piece of music, Nick? Oh my goodness. Wow, I, I did not think to have to... To come up with something that would be a favorite part of the, my favorite part of this is that this is a tall song that Ray actually enjoys. Wow, that is high a high and unusual praise. <laughs> yes, both accurate. Yeah, Ray, this is. I know I've said this many times before, and will attribute it to many songs to come. Indeed, but this may be the most beautiful song in Jethro Tull. <laughs> <laughs> that I've heard in the last five minutes, at least. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, let's let's break it down musically a little bit, eh? We certainly can't break it down lyrically. Mm. Although this music is very lyrical, isn't it? Isn't it? Okay, yeah, that's that's valid. So at the top we have flute, F- that maybe. fun like warm upy flute kind of sound. Yeah, which is very uh, maybe an uh, an echo filter on it, and possibly doubled and backed by the organ. Okay. Okay, I'll need to re-listen to that, yeah. At the very top, but it's a very unusual sound. Mm-hmm. We have the flute is is forward. It's a flute forward frolic, this song. Yeah. The flute takes the place of Ian's dulcet tones here. Yeah. It does. And and for me, I feel like this 
thematically, in terms of the construction, we we have kind of a a dynamic pull in this song between its Baroque influences mm-hmm. and its kind of modern primitivist tendencies. Interesting. Okay. Define modern primitivist tendencies. God here. damn it. Why would you ask me to do that? You know I just made <laughs> that term up. It's like it's it's as if minstrel and songs from the wood had a baby. Yeah, it is like that, which is interesting because the next album is Songs from the Wood, is it not? That is not. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> no, What's... it's uh it's too old to rock and roll. It's it's that one that feels so out of place for me. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. Because because of the disruption in the timeline, probably. Of so, the, the sound timeline, the, the right. sonic chronology, if you right. will. I just coined that term. It's trademark. <laughs> it's going to be in... When people look back on 2020, they'll be like, oh, Nick McGill, the first use of uh, sonic chronology. Hmm, yeah. Interesting. Put it, up, put it on Wikipedia. Yeah. So for for me, there's this... You know, there's two kind of sounds. There's the... There's the... It's using some some music modalities that are that are that we don't hear too often. It's not like just straight up major key. It's 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 something that that sounds a little more Grecian or something. It's a okay. little playing with play with some of those unusual flats and sharps. Okay. But then contrastedly, we have the Baroque sounds of the Yeah. You know, you know the bit I'm talking about? I had a, a girlfriend in college who had some unusual flats and sharps. I don't, hmm. Thank you. I think that, that joke was kind of Baroque. I'll see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's two, at, at certain points, seemingly disparate pieces laid over one another. Well, even that intro, you know, we have, well, there's that sharp change from the, yeah. And then it like drops that. Mm-hmm. Much like March the Mad Scientist, it's a very busy song. It's quite busy. And it has some some abrupt changes. Mm-hmm. Much oh. like March the Mad Scientist. It, you know, March the Mad Scientist has those. Those two really different sounds. This is similar in the sense that we have these two different pulls. Almost, Nick, and sorry to jump into the themes of this song, but it almost reminds me of the contrasting pulls of Apollonic and Dionysian arts. I will have to take your word for it. Well, you know, in Greek mythology, you have the different gods. Obviously, Pan is a reference to to one of those, God Mm -hmm. Pan. His name comes from panic. Well, the word panic comes from pan, I imagine. Exactly, yes. (laughs) And they do talk about in art, you know, the the various influences of these these gods abstracted into our modern minds. You know, Apollo was the god of light and clarity and all this. And so... You know, if you call something Apollonic, it's it's like it's all logical. It's all logic and well lit and straight lines and 
nice angles and everything is very, you know, well laid out. I had a girlfriend in college who had nice lines. It was very well laid out. Yes, all right. Well laid out and bright angles. Yep. (laughs) And then to contrast, we have the Dionysian part of the mind, which is all, you know, the rebellious, the messy, the dark, the curves, the drunkenness, the fun. Sure. You know, if if you like that sort of thing, which, you know. I I mean. (laughs) And so this this (laughs) song reminds me of the kind of contrast between those two things. You have the sort of dark, primitive, primal feelings, and then you have the Baroque, logical things fighting alongside of it, Nick. Okay. Have I been saying all this out loud? I, I've i been listening to you for the last five minutes, so I certainly hope you've been saying it out oh, loud. Dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. There, there's a, a flowy poetry aspect to it, but there's also something that's a little more off the beaten path, a little unhinged, a little manic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but they do, they, they do fit well together and there are instances where there are two of the same instrument or two cousin instruments we'll say that that are playing those two separate pieces but because of that sound they do seem to fit together yes sometimes they provide counterpoint and sometimes they provide dissonance yeah the violin and the cello working together the acoustic always going on in the background the the tambourine playing for the manic side and then doing a little splash here and there for the the beautiful flowing flute. I reckon we feel the the delicate hand of Miss Palmer in this song. It's it's been so long since I felt her delicate hand, and frankly, I am I'm <laughs> nothing but pleased. Lockdown has really got you. <laughs> got you turned I'm so, around. I'm it? so lonely. <laughs> There's another fun thing that I want to point out in this song. Nick, okay. Which, speaking of looking forward to heavy horses and songs from the wood, specifically songs from the wood, we have the double claps. Yes, yeah, yeah. At about forty one forty five, we got claps. Yep. The trademark <laughs> folk rock tall double claps. Yep. Love yep. them. Yeah, we've we've got a lot going on here. Glockenspiel at about one ten, which turns into yes. xylophone at about two thirty five. Indeed, alchemy right there. Yeah, that's right. Strings come in hard at about two ten. Mm-hmm. We got some drums and cymbal kind of very lightly in the background. Some, it's I think it's a splash in the background for the cymbal. And for the drums, I think it's timpani. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's got a broader open sound as opposed to a, an actual set, which feels right for this song as, as fitting with that whole orchestral theme. Do you remember my pan costume from high school? I don't. Was I ever privileged enough to experience the pan costume? I wore it at the Funky Formal one year. 
I didn't partake much in the funky formals. I kind of just sat That's on the true. side. So. Well, I, I looked great. I believe it. Glued on some chest hair, had some furry pants. It was fantastic. Yeah. That chest hair has not come off yet. It's, <laughs> it's really awkward. It's the only stuff that I have. Now, Nick, <laughs> I do want to point out something interesting in regards to this title, Pandance. Okay, sure, sure. I found an album by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Ooh, okay. From 1961. Okay. I like Dave Brubeck. Gave it to I me. like I like him as well. Ne- named Near Myth. Near Myth? Okay. With songs including titles such as The Unihorn, <laughs> Bach yep. and All. Good. I like it. Keep going. Siren Song, Pan Pipes by Jupiter. Baggin the Dragon, <laughs> Apollo's Axe. All sounds really good for experimental jazz at the time, yeah. yeah. The Sailor and the Mermaid, Nep-Tune, <laughs> and the final track, Pandance. Oh. So okay. I don't know that, I don't know that Ian is making some kind of sly jazz reference here. Not outside the realm of possibility. On my perfunctory listen to Bru- to Brubeck's Pan Dance, I didn't hear any striking similarities, but maybe okay. I need to maybe I need to take a deeper dive into that. I'll give her a gander and find the thing that most reminds me of of Pan Dance. Sure, and see if I can I can drop it in there. I think that's wise, Nick. You know what they say: a gander in the hander is worth two in the pander. They have said that. They stopped saying it for a while. They stopped once it was made illegal. <laughs> I'm in a lot of trouble now. I think it makes sense why now that I hear it out loud. I've read it a couple of times, but hearing yeah. it out loud, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Anything else that we want to say about Pandance or March the Mad Scientist or, indeed, Minstrel in the Gallery? I don't have anything particularly about the two songs that we've discussed today. But I I do want to know, have you learned anything? Have you, is there a new favorite song? Do you have a new appreciation for something? Does anything stick out for you for this album, for for Minstrel in the Gallery? I have been so touched by hearing the, across the waves of time, the, the troubles of a lonely man. I, I I never I never you know I didn't know because of the context that we've researched I, I didn't know about what Ian was was going through and what his sort of état was at the time and now I you know I feel I feel it coming through the album and I and I I have I have the feeling of compa- of compassion and I'm I'm just glad mm. that he's in a better place now. Forty years later. 40, 40 years later, but it's but it's good it's good to remember that you know 
the times that we are lonely and the times that we're heartbroken, those times don't last forever. We're we're not alone. We are not the only ones who have experienced these feelings. That's right. And there is always help out there. That's right. Yeah. And 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 I know this will be airing after the holidays, but holidays are a big time for depression and and sure. particularly now when yeah. those people who are actually using common sense and and staying away from family like it can be hard and and there is most certainly help out there to talk to for times of distress there are, are so many options out there but the national alliance on mental illness has a helpline that you can call legit at any time i believe it's probably only for the states please please do your research or speak to someone if you are outside of the States. I wish I could offer more. But the, the National Alliance of Mental Illness hotline is 800-950-6264. Please do not hesitate. There are very compassionate people out there who will help you through things that you need to get through. Whatever you're going through, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, Nick. No matter what you're going through, reach out. There are people to help. And you can always write to us. For yeah. any of your tall-related feelings. Yeah, we'll talk you through anything tall. Yeah, we'll. T- I mean, <laughs> that is what we are here for. <laughs> your tall crises, that's what the Feckless Moments are here for. Well, Nick, next week we have the exciting pleasure of unwrapping a brand new 40-year-old album. <laughs> that's right. It's a little dusty. We'll blow off that dust and we'll break into Too Old to Rock and Roll too young to die. Too young to die. I won't die until I break a hip on this Gibson. What? And the first track off of that album is Quiz Kid. Oh, I love that one. Quiz Kid. I just re-listened to this album the other day in anticipation, and I'm looking forward to this. I was. Yeah. It's been so long since I've listened to it. It was a bit of like, oh, we got to get through too old to rock and roll. But I'm kind of excited about. No, it's got it's got some of my it's got some good ones on it. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Uh, Until next week, Nick, try combining mysterious elements in your beaker. Stir them together with a glass probe. And if you do it right under the right heat, you will create five stars, which you can give to us in the form of an iTunes rating. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll take that. We'll use it. We'll we'll get peer-reviewed ratings. And, and brag about them. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. We'll do a double-blind study. Yep. We'll give half of the people to talk tall to me and half of the people a placebo podcast. <laughs> we'll just tell them that they're listening to a podcast about talk tall to me, and it'll just be silence. They'll be listening to sugar. Exactly. So until next week, I am dedicated to the scientific process, Omen Said. I am a freewheeling... Piss in the wind, Nick McGill. <laughs> we are the revelry, which is feckless moms. And this is the inevitable disaster that is Talk Tall to Me. Abrahams! Abrahams, come to me! Uh.
Abraham. Yes, master. Tonight is the night, Abrahams. Tonight is the night we shall fulfill my wildest dreams. I cannot wait. Weeks of work, master. They said it was impossible. Bring me, bring me the 14 volt megawatt enablers. Uh, here you are. Yes, yes, yes. And, and now give me a, a 10 millimeter wrench. Oh, 10 mi- No, t- 10, that's a 12 millimeter. Give me a 10 millimeter. Oh, yeah, that's the one, that's the one. A 10 millimeter wrench. I'll connect this over here. Yes, we're almost there. Ah, Abrahams, Abrahams. Yes, master. Where is the jar? The, the, the jar? Where's, bring me the jar. The, What's the jar? The jar that's full of talk tall to me. Oh, the the one that's a proud member of the Heckless Mom's audio network. Yes, now throw the switch. <gasps> it's a proud member. It's a proud.